If I'm being honest, I don't spend a lot of time thinking about what my body can do. It's a privilege because for the most part, my body can and does perform exactly as I want it to. Instead, my concerns about my body are mostly aesthetic, which is not to say that they're not real concerns. I mean, if we've learned one thing so far in this podcast, is that the way our bodies are viewed has a very real and profound effect on how we move throughout the world. But when it comes to literal moving, walking, talking, breathing on my own, I'm fortunate to say that it's not something that occupies my mind very often. That's not the case for every woman we spoke to for this podcast, and it's the topic that we want to explore this week on the show. How does it change the way you relate to your body when that body doesn't look or act the same way as everyone else's? I admit, putting this episode together forced me to confront some uncomfortable ideas that I had about my own body and its abilities, and it also invited me to shift my mindset when it came to body love versus body neutrality. More on that in just a bit. I'm Amy Porterfield, and this is Talking Body. In interviewing women for this podcast, we found that their stories varied, but there was one common factor. So many of those we talked to were kind enough to speak openly about their experiences, but they didn't necessarily identify as differently abled. When we allowed these women to steer the conversation, it was always about something they had, not something they were. With PCOS, stress is like super important to manage. Um, And then like anxiety can manifest like so much easier that's like probably one of my biggest things is like my anxiety like I just I've been I'm an anxious person (laughs) definitely no physical disability more of like a chronic illness I just skin skin uh, psoriasis that I've dealt with with most of my life which also has uh, geared me towards things I'm deaf in one ear I've never considered it a disability I don't consider myself disabled but I guess technically that would be one it hasn't had any major impact on my life like yeah I'm deaf in one ear what's the big deal like I don't and it's but the response I get it's like oh like I got to like tiptoe around this issue <laughs> like it's not an issue it's an issue for you but it's not an issue for me and I had postpartum anxiety uh, really bad after my first child and I didn't even know postpartum anxiety was a thing I had no clue I felt like I was like Honestly, like I was losing my mind. I was like, I felt totally alone. Like everybody talks about postpartum depression, I feel like. But at that time, I hadn't even heard of PPA. Thankfully, I was like, okay, I've got to go to the doctor. And I did end up taking um, some medication for that. I have had times in my life where I've really struggled with my mental health. I had a pretty severe bout of depression for about a year. And I've also had, you know, some generalized anxiety that I've, I've worked really hard to, to help heal. In the U.S., one in four adults live with some type of disability. One in four. 
Accessibility is a common issue for many people who have disabilities, and they are statistically more likely to experience poverty, less likely to complete a bachelor's degree, and less likely to be employed full-time than someone without a disability. In recent years, public health officials have been working to reframe disability advocacy as a community health issue. We shouldn't be viewing accommodations for disabilities as an add-on to public spaces. Instead, we should be striving to create communities with as few barriers as possible. This principle is called universal design, and it's present in physical spaces as well as online. The idea is to create a world that accommodates everyone. Instead of separate doors for people in wheelchairs, what about an entry that accommodates all body sizes and mobility strategies? Instead of a website with a colorblind mode, what about a website that doesn't rely on color cues to navigate? That's universal design, and its philosophy is something that we can all build on. Are you building a life that opens you up to the broadest swath of experiences? To be in community with people with a wide range of lived experience. Most people, you know, will say I'm inspiring, but I've always wanted to be inspiring by what I've done, not because of my legs, right? Not just because I've lost my legs. To me, to, to be able to inspire other people to chase their dreams, no matter what they're facing, that to me is real inspiration. Amy Purdy is an athlete in a class of her own. I mean that literally, because while she has snowboarded some of the world's most challenging mountains, none of her fellow athletes are sailing down the mountain on a pair of fiberglass mounted feet. Amy has been an athlete since she was a child, and now as an adult, she remains one of the most marketable and in-demand faces in her sport. Here's Amy in her own words. So at the age of 19, I actually lost both my legs to something called meningococcal meningitis. And before that, I was a snowboarder and loved the outdoors and loved adventure, loved travel, thought that's what I was going to do for the rest of my life, and then lost both my legs to meningitis. I, I also had a kidney transplant uh, because of that and fought for my life when I was in the hospital, fought for my life for about um, two and a half months. And then went on to become a professional athlete and actually kind of use these challenges to get ahead in my life. But, you know, that in itself was just a, an incredible journey, um, one that you can never really prepare for. And you don't really know how you'll respond if something like that happens. But at the same time, my legs really haven't disabled me. They've really enabled me to get to where I'm at today. So I have so much appreciation for my body. I've got scars, I've got stretch marks, I have prosthetic legs, I have a kidney transplant, and yet I am so grateful for what this body has done for me. And that was a journey in itself, you know, just to get to that point where instead of, instead of being insecure about these challenges that I had, um, I was able to really, really deeply appreciate them. Oh, it's, it's such when you tell the story in, in full detail, which people can find online for sure. 
And it's such a beautiful story of how you appreciate the body you have. And I was wondering if you could talk about the adjustment period from walking or snowboarding on legs versus learning to do those things with prosthetic legs. Yeah. And that, I mean, it, it took years to figure that out, but I, I was passionate about snowboarding growing up and wanted to travel the world. I thought that I thought that's what I would do for the rest of my life, even if it was just a passion. And I, when I, when I lost my legs, I, so I remember being wheeled into the operating room and it was so surreal because I had no idea what to expect. I had never met anybody who had two prosthetic legs. I don't even think I saw anybody with prosthetic legs before. So I had no idea what my future would hold, what I'd be able to do. And I was terrified. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I did not believe I was going to lose my legs. I thought the doctors are going to figure this out. So when the day came, it was very surreal. And as I was being wheeled into the operating room, I gave myself three goals. One of them was that I wouldn't feel sorry for myself. The second was that when I somehow figure this out, I'll help others do the same. And the third was that I was, I was going to snowboard again that year because I had never missed a year of snowboarding before and I wasn't about to. So I, I think I needed those three goals to, first of all, give myself a goal, something to hang on to that would like pull me into the future, something to work towards, something to look forward to, and also to be empowered by. Um, but I ended up being able to go on to do those things. And, and it was such a journey of uh, having to get creative and find a way. And I realized that so much of my journey in everything I do is I'm always on a mission to find a way. And if you're committed, then you'll get creative and you will find a way. And so for me, I wanted nothing more but to snowboard again. I would tell my doctors, you know, when can I get out of the hospital so I can snowboard? And they would say, well, we don't even know if it's possible on two prosthetic legs. And I uh, decided, you know, that year I was going to try. And so I, I got up on my legs to snowboard for the first time. And I, I didn't know what to expect. My legs wouldn't move in the way that I wanted them to. They were basically just pipes bolted together. Even though you see these very high-tech prosthetics yeah. on TV, the reality is they really are just kind of pipes bolted together. You might have a high-tech foot, but you can't have all this ankle motion like a normal leg or foot has, or you would be all over the place. You wouldn't be able to control it. So really prosthetic legs and prosthetic feet are very limiting to one motion. So when you run, you have running legs. When you golf, you have golfing legs. When you walk, you have walking legs. And at this time there wasn't yet snowboard legs. And so I got up to snowboard just in my walking legs. And I realized, you know, I could, I could carve over to my left side, but then when I went to carve over onto my toe side, my ankle, my ankles wouldn't bend. And I ended up just shooting down the mountain. I hit this bump. I fell, my goggles went one way, my beanie went the other way, my legs still attached to my snowboard went flying down the mountain. <laughs> I was still sitting on top of the mountain, completely embarrassed, you know, my like body parts everywhere. And I, I realized though, you know, I could be really defeated right now. I could feel extremely discouraged and I was, but I also thought, well, if I can figure out a way to get these ankles to move the way I need them to, if I can figure out a way to keep these detachable body parts attached to my body, 
then actually maybe I can do this. And so that's when I went on a mission to try to figure out how to snowboard again on two prosthetic legs. I called every adaptive ski school across the country, every prosthetic manufacturer to see if they made feet for snowboarding. They would all say the same thing, just take your legs off and sit in a mono ski. And I had two problems with that. One, I'm not a skier. And number two, I wanted to use my legs. And I felt like maybe maybe it just hasn't been done yet. Maybe there just hasn't been somebody who's passionate enough to figure it out to get it done. And so I went on this mission and ended up actually making my own feet to snowboard in. And, you know, I wasn't like welding them together, but I was taking different parts from different companies, like an ankle from one company, turning it backwards, a foot from another company. And basically between that and wood and neon pink duct tape ended up making these feet that I could snowboard in. And, you know, that's also when I learned that our obstacles can either completely stop us or force us to get creative and force us to find a way. And so that's just been my journey ever since. I'm curious what it was like returning to the sport you absolutely loved with a new relationship to your body. So once you got to that point where you were able to start snowboarding again, did you look at your body differently? Did, did you feel differently? What what was that like? Oh, I mean, absolutely. I, I, I mean, I have so much, um, appreciation for the strength of my body. So not just for getting me through the challenges that were put upon me, right? Like meningitis and losing my legs, but also helping me get through the challenges that I put upon myself, like to become a professional athlete and realizing just how strong my body is. And before I decided to become an athlete, I was actually 30 years old when I became a professional athlete. Really? And most people think that, you know, if you're an athlete, you're raised an athlete, mm-hmm. that's something you always do. I, I did always snowboard. I loved it, but I looked at it more like a lifestyle. It's what my friends did. It was just what we did. It wasn't like this thing that we really trained for. And it wasn't until I wanted to make the Paralympic games and be the absolute best athlete that I could be mentally and physically that I really became an athlete. And that was 30 years old. And my body transformed massively at that time. I went from being, you know, just thin, doing daily workouts to working out really hard, lifting weights, gaining about 15 pounds of muscle within a year and a half and making the U.S. snowboard team. And my body was literally the strongest it's ever been in my entire life, even before I lost my legs. And I realized just how capable it was. You know, I'd snowboard six hours a day. I'd go to the gym and lift weights three hours a day with a trainer. My body was so fit and so strong. And that's what got me through the Paralympics and helped me go on to win a medal. But then right on the back end of that was dancing with the stars. And had my body not have been as strong as it was, I don't think I would have been able to endure that as well. And so here I became my absolute strongest after losing my legs, after having a kidney transplant, after all of these surgeries that felt like initially they broke my body down. I ended up building up to be stronger than I ever was before. And that also has given me just so much appreciation for what our bodies can do and how amazing they are. 
Oh my goodness. I, it's so incredible to hear <laughs> this journey and, and what you've been through and what you've done with it. And I want to take you way back and ask you, did you ever struggle with body image before your accident? And, and then how did that change after? I don't know if everybody does. I want to assume that we all do in high school, but I definitely did. I mean, well, I was very proud of my body. It was very strong. I was never an athlete. I definitely, even though I snowboarded, I, I wasn't raised an athlete, but I, I felt strong. I felt naturally athletic. I worked out every day. So I did have a very strong appreciation for it, but I still struggled for sure with, um, you know, just looking in the mirror and wishing I was thinner or, um, I, I actually remember at one point hearing about somebody who had lost their legs. And I remember sitting in the bathtub, looking at my legs. This is before I lost my legs, looking at my legs and I was shaving my legs. And I was thinking, what would I ever do without my legs? And I remember thinking I would jump off a cliff. Like it sounds so extreme, but being, you know, in high school, that was my thought that, oh my gosh, there's no way that I'd be able to survive without my legs. And then all of a sudden it happened to me and I realized just how strong I was. And I realized just how much appreciation that I have for this body and this life legs or no legs. Um, and so it, it's definitely been a journey. I mean, I, I, when I was in the hospital, I fought for my life. I was on life support. They had to fill me up with 50 pounds of water to keep pressure in my veins and so when I woke up from the coma that I was in, I was 50 pounds heavier than before. In wow. fact, to weigh me, they had to put me on this like this big scale and like hoist me up in the air because I was still on life support machines. And I remember that. I remember being awake for that and looking down at my thighs and just thinking, what happened? What happened to my life? Because I used to work out every day after school. I worked so hard to make sure my legs were in shape. And then now all of a sudden, not only did I lose my legs, but I was 50 pounds heavier with water fighting for my life, ended up having uh, major stretch marks after leaving the hospital. My entire body changed completely. Um, scars from head to toe and at first being very insecure about it, but then, but then over time, just realizing just how incredibly strong this body is and what it just got me through and the level of appreciation I built for it because of what it's got me through is, is really what's led me to where I'm at today, where, you know, I'm grateful for all of these things that have happened in my life. If it wasn't for every you know, these scars saved my life, basically, instead of looking at them, like, uh, I'm embarrassed by that scar, yeah. that scar saved my life. And because of that, I've been able to go on and live my best life. And so, um, it's been a journey though, for sure. And, but I'm happy that it's led to where it's at, where I have more appreciation for it than really that I've ever had. When we talk about and think about media, what is, what is the representation and inclusion for people with physical disabilities? Like, what would you like media to do in that respect? Gosh, I mean, you know, I think that right now there is this big 
movement within the disability community where people are saying, you know, this isn't a bad thing. In fact, this challenge or this obstacle that we've been given, it's not something to overcome. It doesn't need to be overcome. We don't need to be fixed. This is who we are, right? And because of this, because of what we went through in our life, it's taught us so much and it's allowed us to live our best lives. And so I think a lot of people with disabilities feel still like the media will maybe pity them or, you know, look at this person who's uh, in a wheelchair and kind of yay what they're doing. Whereas, you know, that person is like, I'm an athlete, just like anybody else. And so I think, you know, there's this big kind of uprising and, and movement happening of, you know, we, um, I mean, the things that make us unique are also the things that make us beautiful. And that goes for everybody. And, and to just, instead of looking at somebody with a disability and saying, oh, you know, some people are just born different. It's like, no, we're all born different, right? Yeah. We're all born different. We all look different. We are all going to face something in our lives that's going to test us. And that's when we really figure out who we are. So, you know, people with disabilities, I think are some of the most resilient, creative people that exist and, and resourceful because we've had to find a way we've had to get creative. And so, you know, I think, you know, I, I hope there starts to be a little bit more of a shift where if somebody finds themselves in a situation where they do need to be in a wheelchair or they do lose a leg, that it is not the worst thing in the world, right? It, it's actually at times can be a blessing. It, it makes you dig deep. It makes you find your fire, makes you get creative. It makes you find your passion. It makes you find your purpose. That's a blessing. So I, you know, and I do see some of that, that being changed in the media. Uh, I did a Super Bowl commercial with Toyota a few years ago, and it was incredibly empowering because, you know, it showed everything that I do on two prosthetic legs running, swimming, mountain biking. It, it showed me working on my legs. That's very much so what my day-to-day -day life looks like. And so you are starting to see more positive representation, but, you know, I think there's also something happening in the community too, where people don't just want to see athletes with disabilities achieve, like we're superhuman. You know, some of us maybe are superhuman because we're athletes more than having disabilities. Not that we're superhuman, but you know, we're, we've, we've been able to show how capable we are, but there's a lot of people with disabilities who just want to see themselves, you know, even if they're not athletes represented in the media, just there, right? Like if there's a doctor show, one of the doctors is in a wheelchair, like that's it. It doesn't have to be about his story. It doesn't have to be an inspiring story that person just happens to be in a wheelchair and that's just part of the storyline. So hopefully it starts to, to go that direction more where, where people just see themselves represented more properly in the media. So you're also a model. You are definitely an influencer. You have this huge platform. And can you talk about navigating that world as someone who's had a unique experience, but you also aren't looking at yourself as other and you don't want to be othered by your viewers. Right. So what does that look like for you? You know, I, I think my, um, I think my journey from the beginning has always been to live my best life, help others live their best lives, 
I, I think I, I have been able to really blur the lines between, you know, a lot of people don't look at me as someone who's disabled because they've actually been able to see all that I've done kind of in the public eye with, you know, the Paralympics and dancing with the stars. And so, I mean, you know, I, I think the big thing for me has been, you have to decide what you want to share and what you don't want to share. And when I first went through this injury last two years ago, I wasn't sure if I was going to share it because I didn't want people to feel sorry for me. The last thing I've ever wanted was pity. And in fact, most people, you know, will say I'm inspiring, but I've always wanted to be inspiring by what I've done, not because of my legs, right? Not just because I've lost my legs and whatever. I, to me, to, to be able to inspire other people to chase their dreams, no matter what they're facing, that to me is real inspiration. And so I, I just never wanted to say, look at me, look what I've done or look what I'm dealing with and be inspired. And so my mission is always to just share tips and tools and techniques that have helped me get through my challenges so that other people can get through theirs. And you don't have to go through the same type of challenge that I've gone through to relate to challenge, right? To re relate to the process of how do you get through something, whether it's the challenges that you choose or the challenges that choose you, you know, it's finding the opportunity and the challenge. And that's really been my, I think my mission and my message from the beginning. And I think that's why on social, I have a community of people with disabilities who follow me, but I have even more of a community of people without disabilities who follow me. I've, I've really tried to relate my experiences to the experiences that we all go through. Thinking about what Amy shared, I felt grateful for the simplicity of this part of her message. We each have the challenge we chose, and we have the challenges that chose us. It's a pure mindset, one that doesn't assign value or pity to one set of circumstances over another. No matter the challenge you're facing, you can at the very least feel secure in the knowledge that it's valid, your feelings about it are valid, and that you are not alone in your experience. For many people, when they imagine a disability, they don't necessarily envision a person, but a symbol often an assistive device, a walking cane, a wheelchair, a breathing device. For millions of people, the disability they have does not come with an obvious external signifier. These are often referred to as invisible disabilities, so named because while they can present similar challenges, they aren't as obvious to others. In a world already obsessed with all forms of body policing, this can come with its own kind of stigma. I think it's pretty safe to say no one wants to be defined by their challenges, especially if they found ways to adapt to those challenges in their everyday life. However, for many people living with invisible disabilities, the reality is not so simple. In asking for accommodations, they are asking others to make a judgment call based on their appearance. The most dreaded of all possible responses but you don't look disabled. At the website invisibledisabilityproject.org, you can watch dozens of videos uploaded and shared by a community of people living with invisible conditions who talk about experiences with stigma, 
social pressure, and the definition of so-called normal. One man speaks candidly about the difficulty of establishing boundaries with friends and family who assume he has the same level of energy they do. Another video details how a woman lived with her illness for seven years before receiving a diagnosis, due in part to indifference from her doctors. The experience of watching these videos is kind of like scrolling a very specific kind of social media feed. It also feels pretty radical to take what was once a source of anger or fear, what was invisible, and face it outward for the whole world to see. One woman I spoke to on this subject is Molly Galbraith, who runs Girls Gone Strong. Years ago, she was diagnosed with two conditions at the same time. Early 2004, 17 years ago, I decided I wanted to get in shape. And so I actually started competing in figure competitions, which is kind of like a mix between bikini and bodybuilding. So a little bit more muscular than bikini, less muscular than bodybuilding. So I would do that and I would diet down 900 calories a day, two hours of cardio on top of weight training. Wow. And I would do that for 16 weeks and I'd step on stage to be, have my body judged against other women in tiny bikinis and told whose body is better and, and what's wrong with our bodies. And, um, every time afterwards I would have this massive rebound and I would gain a significant amount of weight again. And then I would start getting all kinds of negative attention from my body, thus reinforcing that when I am small, thin, lean, perfect bikini body, I'm good, worthy, valuable people like me. And when I gain the weight back, then people have negative things to say about me. So this cycle continued over and over for several years. And then after my last competition in 2008, beginning of 2009, I was 24 years old and I felt like I could hardly get up off the couch to get a glass of water. I was very physically depressed. And I went to the doctor and I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's, which is autoimmune thyroid disease. I was diagnosed with, uh, which is a sluggish thyroid. I was diagnosed with um, PCOS, which is polycystic ovarian syndrome and adrenal dysfunction. So there's a feedback loop issue between my brain and my adrenals. And my doctor said she thinks that I was predisposed to getting these, but that my lifestyle of doing the competitions kind of basically pulled the trigger on that to for me to be diagnosed with those. And so for the first time in five years, I couldn't control the way that my body looked. I felt like my body was failing me. I felt like there was something wrong with my body. I felt like I didn't have any control over my body because so many of the symptoms of those two diseases were things that I was experiencing. So weight gain, fatigue, hair loss, um, just like this overall feeling of not feeling well, certain foods were impacting my body. I had to cut certain foods out of my diet. And so being diagnosed with those two things was really challenging for me, especially because I had spent the prior five years, again, being able to say, okay, I'm going to tweak this in this way. And this is what's going to happen. And all of a sudden my body felt completely out of my control. I bet. And tell me this, what's something that you wish more people understood about living with these kind of conditions, which aren't really obvious to others? Yes. So many women are living with Hashimoto's and PCOS. And I wish I, well, I wish the women who had those things knew that there is hope that they're not relegated to they're They are not their diagnosis, that there are things that they can do to feel better, to manage their conditions, to achieve their health and fitness goals, and that they're not 
um, defined by their diagnoses. Towards the end of my conversation with Amy Purdy, she started telling me more about the most recent experiences that she's been working through with the artery in her leg. And then in the midst of explaining a struggle that, if I'm being honest, was completely overwhelming to me, she said something that will stay with me forever. I've been through so much in the last two years. You know, in fact, I'll tell you, a story about two years ago when this first hit, I had a major surgery on my left leg and they cut into my left thigh and I had this huge scar over there. And then I had to go in for another emergency surgery where they actually had to go in the right thigh to access the left oh. thigh. So I ended up with the scar over there. And I also ended up with major bruising because I was on blood thinners when they did this surgery. And I ended up with this just a black and blue scar from my rib all the way down to my leg. I wasn't walking. We were fighting to save my leg. You know, here I went from being the strongest I've ever been in my life to suddenly looking in the mirror. I was so thin because I was so stressed out. I had just had these back-to-back -back emergency surgeries and my whole body had changed. I was swollen. I was bruised. And I looked in the mirror and my first thought was, oh my God, what happened? Look how weak I am. You know, I feel so broken. And, and then it really, you know, it really sat heavy on my heart in that moment. I mean, I, I, and within two seconds kind of fell into this pit of despair of just feeling like what has happened to my life and my body. And then all of a sudden I heard this voice just say, Amy, do the opposite of what you're doing right now. And I thought, okay, well, what did I say? Okay, I, I feel so weak. So then I was like, no, look how strong, look how strong my body is for going through all it has gotten through. And it continues to do it even when I'm not trying, even when I'm not the one talking my body through it, my body is still doing it itself. Look how strong this body wow. is to go through everything it's gone through and to get me here. And then I thought, okay, I just said that I feel so broken. And then I thought, well, what's the opposite of that? Look how my body has fixed itself. Look at these amazing scars, how every system has to come together perfectly to make a scar, that your body is doing that. Your body is fighting for you when you're not even thinking about it. How incredible is that? And so by just kind of shifting my mindset in that moment, you know, I walked in the bathroom feeling despair and I walked out feeling so much appreciation, so much gratitude. And so that's what I try to do every day. I mean, I, I just had a surgery. I just had another amputation on my leg about a month ago and I got through it so good and so quick and my leg healed so well. And so those are the things that I think about, you know, I can definitely think about, oh my gosh, now I have more scars or my body looks different than it did before, but I choose to look at what it's doing and how incredible and just, you know, miraculous it is that it's constantly working for us. And I just feel like if you take care of it, then it will take care of you. And we just need to have more appreciation and we just don't have enough. We look in the mirror and we instantly look at what we don't like. Yeah. And 
instead of kind of flipping it around, you know, I now have it sticky on my mirror that just says, do the opposite of what you're doing right now. Today, tomorrow, and the next day, I wanna take some time to really think about what a powerful machine my body is. Millions of systems working in harmony all the time to think, express, sense, repair, and experience. When I think about how I feel about my body, I realize that I haven't been looking at the whole picture. Just like Amy, when I sense a negative thought coming on, I want to encourage myself to think the opposite. In my life, that might look like the opposite of shame when it comes to emotional eating or the opposite of fear when it comes to taking up space. Early on in making this podcast, I asked if I needed to love my body or just feel neutral about my body. Now, I wonder if part of loving my body is having a healthy separation between my body and my identity. Just as I don't want to be defined by how I look, I don't necessarily want to be defined by what I can do either because ability could always change in a moment. This is a difficult lesson for me, a person who has always measured my value against my achievements. But when all is said and done, and I have no more stages to walk, no more courses to create, no more speeches to give, I will be grateful to be defined by the immutable me inside, my values, my beliefs, and the abundance of love in my heart. Talking Body is hosted by me, Amy Porterfield. The show is produced and edited by Chelsea Harfouche with production support from Sterling Coates. Episodes are written and researched by Chelsea Harfouche, Celia Ties, and Amy Porterfield. Cameron Berkman is our executive producer. Special thanks to all the women who participated in the interview and research portion of this podcast. Talking Body is a 3% chance production.